The Premier Ultimate League podcast is presented by Kiko Socks, the most comfortable and durable sock designed specifically for Ultimate players. Owned and run by female players who not only understand the pains of grueling practices and long tournaments, but the lack of high-performance apparel available available to the female athletes. Kiko socks feature double padding and moisture wicking fibers that protect your feet so you can cut harder than ever before. Available in bold colors at an affordable price, Kiko socks invites you to focus on your game, not your feet. The podcast is also, wait, what? What do I say? The podcast is also what? (laughs) Also presented by, the podcast is also presented by, okay. The podcast is also presented by Layout Gloves, the ultimate grip for your game. Provide a consistent grip in any playing conditions, allowing you to add more spin, throw farther, and catch more passes. Layout Ultimate Gloves are the official glove and proud supporters of the PUL. But it definitely became really apparent to me through this process. Um, like my imposter syndrome has diminished mm. <laughs> being in this space. Hi, I'm Maddie Fry with Atlanta Soul. I'm Eileen Murray with New York Gridlock Ultimate. Welcome to the podcast, the Pulp Podcast. We are here today with Eileen Murray, the head coach and owner of New York Gridlock, one of the newest teams to join the Premier Ultimate League. And I would say even though we haven't even hit the field yet, probably the most successful team to date, especially with your fundraising and um, social media efforts. Y'all are just doing amazing. So Eileen, I wanted to hear from you. You have a long and decorated sort of career, both playing and coaching and ultimate, and we'll get to that in a minute. But first, I just have to ask, how did you get into this here sport of ultimate Frisbee? So I first played ultimate in my backyard at family parties, believe it or not. And uh, we played, we had a very small backyard. And so the way we played was that you caught it, then you had to stop moving, which was really funny because when you got to one end of the yard, there was a wall that you had to touch with the Frisbee to score. And so people would like frequently just lie down (laughs) and try to reach the wall. But I have, I have pictures and vivid memories of this happening, like in the seventies and early eighties. So that was the first time I played a disc sport. And then when I was in college, I played one season with the men's team at Lafayette College. This was like in, I don't know, the early 90s. Um, but it was it was a men's team, and I decided I didn't want to play with the men anymore, so I played rugby. And so then when I graduated college, I moved to Arizona and really was just looking for another team sport to get involved in. I knew it was a great way to meet folks. I'd moved there for grad school and didn't really know anybody. And I just saw an, uh, an advertisement in the student um, newspaper that said pickup was happening at this park near where I lived. And I went out and met a bunch of really cool women who were playing in Tucson. And that's how I really got hooked. That is so awesome. I knew none of that. <laughs> <laughs> and so then who was the first club team that you played with? Well, so I played with the Tucson women Um, I can't even remember what our name was, honestly, it was so long ago. Um, And I played, we would play at New Year's Fest, which is a big big tournament in Phoenix that was going on for years. And um, we played at, you know, regionals and sectionals and stuff like that. But then when I was leaving grad school and going to another graduate school, I purposely picked cities where there were competitive teams with also good math programs. And I landed at Georgia Tech because of ozone and because of the mathematicians who were at tech. And so that was, I moved to um, Atlanta in October after the Olympics. And so I didn't play that first season and then dislocated my shoulder that spring. And so I missed the first two years. I lived in Atlanta. I did not play with ozone, but then um, after I was, I healed up, I got on the team. So my first season was like 97. Okay. And then you played for, Several years with Ozone. Yes. So and they so they were like my main team, right? So I played with Ozone from I think it was either ninety seven or ninety eight, I can't remember. And then I played through Perth Worlds in oh, two thousand nice. and six yep. when that was. And then mm-hmm. I left retired from competitive women's play and got pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Brief detour. Tell us about your kids. So I had, so Maxwell is, um, my older child and he was born in 2007. Um, and then Joseph, my second child was born in 2010, both planned to be born 
before the main part of the season so that I could still play in the series. They, they thankfully worked out in that way. So Maxwell was born in September. So he was a little bit late and Joseph was born in July. So he was actually perfect timing nice. for that. Okay. <laughs> and for all the listeners, we get to sometimes see Eileen's kids on our month or on our weekly calls when they kind of come in and out of our meetings and sit on her lap and need a hug before bedtime or something. It's the cutest thing ever. It's almost as cute as Dre's dog, actually. Oh my gosh, that dog is the best. Nothing can compete with. <laughs> I swear to God. And sorry, I have to chime in, even though I'm not on this podcast. This is the best part, Eileen, was when you left the call and went to dinner with the family and left the call on. <laughs> on. And yeah. so you went in and had dinner and it was like we were all in family dinner. Oh my gosh, could, are you like, serious? Yes, we could hear your like forks clinking and everything. <laughs> That's so awesome. <laughs> that, sorry about that. Okay, anyways. <laughs> sorry, That's minor the deep. board of directors right there. Premier That is so awesome. Oh man. Um, oh, wait, one more thing. So Maxwell, was, yeah. Maxwell actually played his first league this winter um, in New Jersey. It has a great youth program, the Devil um, program, and they have a youth league that starts in fifth grade. Oh it's an God. indoor league in the winter, and he had his first his first experience. It was fantastic. That's so awesome. Yeah. Fifth grade. Fifth grade. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so that's playing. How did you get into coaching? When I was in Atlanta, um, I went there for graduate school, quickly realized that it wasn't really what I wanted to be doing. Um, and so after a small detour into actuarial work, which was not for me because I cannot work in a cubicle, um, I went into teaching. And so because I hadn't, didn't have any sort of teaching certification, I worked at a private school. So I went to Woodward Academy, which is in College Park in Georgia. Mm -hmm. And when I was coming in, there was a, a guy there named Ray, and he was actually leaving. He was a science teacher and he was leaving, but he had started an Ultimate Frisbee program. So he had about a dozen kids who were playing. And when he heard I was coming, I had already been playing with, with Ozone for several years. And so he found out I was going to be teaching. And so he called me and said, will you please take over this program? I don't want it to go away after I leave. And I said, sure. So I went in that very first year, there was already a club formed. And it was, uh, it was about 15 kids, um, 12 uh, boys and three girls. And um, that's how it got started. So we, that's how I started. So I didn't, hadn't really coached before. And um, wh while I was there, so I taught at that school for five years. And while I was there, the 15 person club team grew to a varsity uh, team, a junior varsity team and a girls team, which wow. are all still in existence today. That's amazing. Yeah. So, and I know several coaches have come after you, Kristen Shell, Rachel Aubert. I don't even know who's coaching right now. Well, Josh Marquette was one of my assistant oh, coaches my way back well, when. Wow. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and so then you moved to New York. No. Oh, no, I didn't. Okay. So I graduated. So I, I left teaching to get my PhD in math education because I decided that I wanted to have a broader impact besides my own classroom. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to teach teachers so that my impact would actually be um, magnified in terms of classroom teaching. So I went and got my PhD in math education at University of Georgia. And when I moved there, um, some of my teammates from Ozone were playing with the Georgia University of Georgia women's team. And so I started coaching them. So I coached them for a couple of years. And then while I was writing my dissertation, having babies, like it just stopped really working for me. So then that's when um, Lauren Rapp and then um, Ambler um, wound mm -hmm. up going in. But anyway, so I, that, so I coached them. And the last year I coached the University of Georgia team, I had the honor of coaching the U19 mm -hmm. women's team at Worlds, which was awesome. And so I had those really great um, coaching experience with young women over wow. those years. Then, at, So then after I graduated, I moved to New York for a year. Then I was in Boston for two. And since then, I've been in New Jersey. So I've been in New Jersey for about five. And um, in all of those places, I dabbled in some coaching, mostly with developmental college teams. Um, and also every place I went, I would, um, do clinics as well as started a couple of leagues here and there. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So then how did you, I know you have coached in the AUDL. How did you get into that? When I moved to New Jersey, my husband was playing pickup in a park near our house. Um, I was injured at the time, so I wasn't playing, but I came out one day and Anthony Nunez was out who, 
actually had scouted for me for the U19 women's team way back when. And so he was like, wait a minute, you live in New Jersey? That's amazing. You should help me with stuff. I, you know, am you know, involved in all this different ultimate. And I was like, yeah, of course. So we exchanged numbers. And a couple of weeks later, I got a phone call saying, um, I coach in the MLU. So there used to be two men's leagues, right. uh, mm -hmm. the MLU and the ADL. He was coaching the New York Rumble in the MLU. And he asked me to come out to help um, with the scouting. And so I went out and I over overheard him talking to a another male scout there saying, oh, I'm looking for assistant coaches. And I said, why didn't you ask me? And he said, well, I didn't think you'd be interested. And I was like, well, I am. And so, <laughs> and so uh, that was that. So I coached with him in the MLU for two years. And um, after that second year, I felt that I wanted to be on my own, have a little bit more control over what was happening um, in the team. And so I then started looking at other, the MLU only had, you know, they already had coaches, but I heard through the grapevine that the AUDL Philadelphia team was looking for a coach. And so I just called the owners and I said, I should be your coach. And they were like, yes, you should. And so, that, uh, <laughs> so that's how that happened. But it was really hard um, traveling, living in New Jersey, North Jersey, near Manhattan and going into Philadelphia for coaching. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't going to do it again. And then I heard that um, Empire had lost their coach. And so I did the same thing. I called those owners and I said, I should be your coach. And they said, yes, you should. And so then I was able to coach them that second year. That second year. Okay. Well, so yeah, so it was Philly one year, New York one year. And then, um, and now this is my third year in pros mm -hmm. and now I'm over in the premier ultimate league. Okay. So tell me about that transition. So why did you decide to leave AUDL and start a women's team? Start. There are a lot oh. of reasons for yes. that. So one as of candid as you feel like being. Okay. So one of one reason was, you know, Angela was um I've known Angela since she was 18 years old. Um, Angela Lynn. Angela Lynn. And um I knew, you know, so when I heard all this stuff happening last year with the women's professional teams, I was I was a little bit concerned. And my concern was that there was no central organizing structure. And I was worried that without that structure, if any of these teams failed, it would give fuel to people who said, see, mm -hmm. it would never work. Mm -hmm. And so I had some, a couple of candid conversations with Angela about my concerns around this. Um, and then I heard that the league was, I don't know how I found out that y'all had started to talk about creating the league. And so, you know, and, and at some point during the spring of last year, Angela said, well, what if we did have a league? Would you come over to it? And I said, yes. <laughs> and so at that, when I heard that there was league at that point, I was like, well, I said I would. And the other thing was, is that the AUDL really wasn't totally working out for me for a number of different reasons. Um, one of which I think can be captured by the story of the fact that um, I'm one of four female coaches in the league. My team makes it to championship weekend. I'm on the sideline. I approach a ref to to you know, ask a question. And he looked at me and says, are you like, are you even a coach? <gasps> oh. So, I mean, like, that's the kind of things that would happen. Um, and yeah. So, you know, why wouldn't, you know, I'm one of four coaches here this weekend. And you were the head coach of empire. Yes. You know, so, you know, those so, so like those kind of things, um, would happen. And, uh, and I don't, I, this was not a reason for me leaving the AUDL, but it definitely became really apparent to me through this process. Um, mm -hmm. Like my imposter syndrome has diminished mm. <laughs> being in this space. <laughs> and I, and I, you know, I, I came to this, um, this uh, realization that, you know, I, the, the mental and emotional energy I was expending proving that I deserved to be there was was very taxing and it mm. made me like really uh, check my privilege right because like i don't i don't experience that in other areas of my life i'm white i'm middle class you know like i'm educated and so i don't i don't experience a lot of the microaggressions that other folks experience on a daily basis mm -hmm. and so it was just like it just just happened like this weekend just like coming to this realization like oh my gosh like this is what you know this is just a small piece of what other people experience on a daily mm. basis for their whole lives Right. And it was a really interesting thing for me to come to realize, but, but it's, I'm in the right space now. 
Yeah. Do I think I was qualified to coach those people? Yes, absolutely. But did I have to fight to make them think I should coach them? Yes, absolutely. Man. So, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I imagine a lot of our listeners are feeling like they have had similar experiences. And I think it's really valuable for us to share these experiences. And I don't hear you blaming people. I just hear you saying this was my experience. And I think that's incredibly powerful and helpful for me. I, you know, I've learned so much from you, um, in many ways, but thank you for sharing that. So tell me a little bit about how the team is going so far. You have selected your roster. Let's talk about that. Tell me, so you are the head coach and you have some assistant coaches as well. Can you tell us about who they are? Yes, I'd love to. So, um, so last year on the empire, I had um, some assistant coaches and one of my assistant coaches, Isaiah Bryant, um, Izzy, he plays for exist in New York. Um, he was, was one of my assistant coaches and I was able to convince him to come with me to, um, to gridlock, which is amazing. Awesome. So he's going to be coaching. And then, um, Megan Randall, who is going to be in her second year of coaching bent, formerly a player, longtime player for Bent. So she's in her second year of coaching and I really wanted to work with her. Um, I think she's got fantastic energy, a ton of potential as a coach. And so I really wanted to bring her in. So she's going to be coaching. I was able to convince her to do it. And then the third person was someone who's actually at tryouts. Um, oh my gosh, I'm going to butcher her name. She's going to kill me. <laughs> um, so Susie, who's going to be my other uh, coach, I'm going to look up her name really quick so I can actually say it right. And then Bonesaw can edit this part out. Once he's like, all right. So, which he probably won't just to embarrass right, me. Right, just to embarrass me. Jivotovsky. Jivotovsky. Susie Jivotovsky. So she is, um, she plays on Jug Handle and she came to tryouts and she's a fantastic player, but she's been suffering from some concussions this past mm -hmm. season and year. And she got a concussion during tryouts. <sighs> and so she was like, I am out. And so, um, my team manager, Judy Jarvis came to me and said, Susie's always wanted to coach. She's not going to be able to play. I think her, she would be a great asset to this team. You know, would you consider having her as a coach? And I said, yes, because, you know, a big part of our mission statement is to provide leadership experiences for women in our communities. And I thought this would be a great opportunity for that to happen. And with a, such a, a, you know, a robust coaching staff, I figured it would be a great way to give her like this, like view into coaching and practice into coaching so that she could bring it, you know, awesome forward. Yeah. Okay. Well, that is a perfect segue into another question I wanted to ask you. So you and I have been talking and texting over the last week about coaches in the league and this observation that there aren't a whole lot of women coaches and you've come up with some solutions, but can you kind of lay out what you learned in sort of your fact-finding mission and some solutions that we've come up with? Yeah, sure. So one of the, so when I first moved to New Jersey and I started coaching men and started having these experiences, so I wasn't only coaching in the pro leagues, I was also coaching and continue to coach a men's team, a club men's team, Garden State Ultimate. And this will be my fifth season coaching them. And what I was noticing was that frequently I was the only woman on the sideline that was not a spectator for, you know, when I was coaching in the men's division, I was experiencing quite a bit of microaggressions from other players and coaches. Mm. Um, and I started to get really interested in like, where are the women in this space and what's happening? And so I started to do some research just in coaching in general and found out some pretty interesting um, facts that um, like the, the coaching landscape over the past, you know, 30 years. So title nine was a law that was implemented in 1972. And at that time, more than 90% of the, the teams that were women's teams were coached by women. Yes. Three years later, it was down to less than 60%. And in 2014, it was less than, um, less than four, it was around 40%. And so this, the number of women in this space has been decreasing over time, which is counterintuitive because you think, oh, you know, you open up mm -hmm. all this space. But what happened was is that like, since there were, since Title IX happened, there were many more opportunities for women's teams to form, which meant there were many more opportunities for coaches, but it also monetized the position. 
And so, the, so it became more of a, a male job because mm-hmm. we know that women shouldn't get paid for their work. Right. So like, <laughs> that's, you know, the way that society thinks about it. So, so more men got into the space and they also started to think that athletes needed to be in these positions where previously a lot of um, PE teachers were taking these positions. Mm -hmm. But again, that's a feminized job. So, you know, there are all these like really interesting societal dynamics. Um, And so, you know, this is happening, you you know, across the country in all areas of sport. Um, And so men just typically have a dual pathway to coaching. They can coach men's teams and they can coach women's teams, but women can really only coach women's teams. That's, that's really what people say. Um, Obviously it's different and you see like, you know, glimmers of hope in the NBA and and some NFL um, initiatives, but Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, So then I was like, I wonder what's happening in Ultimate. There are no stats on this. And so I, you know, called USAU, very helpful. They gave me some information. And one piece of information they gave me that was that in in 2017, there were 1,600, around 1,600 coach level members. So this excludes lifetime members, but there, there, there are 1,600 coach-level members. Only 25% of them were women, mm. right? And so then right. I was like, that's super interesting. I wonder what's going on at like, you know, some of the, the like, like higher um, echelons of the sport, like at club nationals um, and the national coaching staff. And the national coaching staff, like you can look at all the coaches, they skew male. I was just recently at the national coaching symposium. I coached the... Um, in 2019, I was the head coach for the mixed team at um, Beach Worlds. Mm-hmm. And so there were, you know, all teams had coaches, um, but it was mostly male. And when I went to the National Coaching Symposium, I think it was, pro- it was probably about 25% women, you know, there. Um, and, you know, you have, you know, you have your Deanna Ball and you have your Alex Schneider and you, ha- you know, you have, mm-hmm. you have all of these great coaches, but it does skew male. Um, same thing in the club circuit. So when you look at, what's going on at club nationals in 2017, there were no female coaches in the men's division at all. Um, and when you looked at the female division, only 33% of the coaches there were women mm. in the mixed division. It was around 25%. Now this is of the teams that actually had their coaches listed on their roster. Mm-hmm. There is some limitations in the numbers that I am saying and so it would be great if, you know, the USAU would maybe get on board with kind of tracking these things mm-hmm. over time to see where we need to go and um, in terms of like promoting equity and in, in coaching. Mm-hmm. In 2018, mm-hmm. though, yes. Miranda Roth broke that barrier. Miranda Roth knows. Amazing. Yeah. Sorry, like I've known her. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Again, someone I've known since she was in high school. So it's hard. I know, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, that was phenomenal. But that same year, one, another team did have a female on their coaching staff in the men's division. Oh, cool. The mixed women's division stayed pretty constant in terms of okay. the numbers. But yeah, that was a pretty, I thought, very exciting. And I thought it was pretty cool. I'm going to brag a second that that was the first time Chain had been back to nationals in what, four years? <laughs> yes. Under so Miranda's awesome. leadership. So yeah. pretty cool. Yes. She's amazing. Quite. Okay. So you found all this out and then I think you applied that same lens to the premier ultimate league. Right. So, so I, I wound up doing a food fris- frisbee and feminism event this uh, past weekend um, for, with disc NY. And I had said that I would like to talk about women in coaching, just give me like a five minute window. And so it's, I had all this data already and I said, well, you know, I should obviously talk about the premier ultimate league. And so, cause this is clearly going to be better. Right. So I looked at, <laughs> um, and so of the 14 coaches that were identified to me by Saturday morning, there were 14 coaches and five of them were women. So it was a little bit better than these other numbers that I'm getting, but I was, I was, um, a bit surprised mm-hmm. and, also wondering what to do about that because, mm-hmm. you know, finding a coach is hard. Yeah. Finding someone you're comfortable with is hard and nothing to say that the men who are going to be coaching the league are not allies are not, you know, going to do a good job. I mean, I, you know, nothing against them. It's just in thinking about what is the league's mission, which is for, mm-hmm access to visibility of, you know, equity mm-hmm. in all of these mm-hmm. ideas, I really started thinking about like, in what ways are we living that mission? And what does it say if the leaders of these teams are male yeah. and the players are female? Um, and so I started thinking about that and the conversations that we had then 
were, so in what ways can we help make women more accessible and available in these coaching positions? Mm. Like in what ways can we set up maybe mentorship, right? So like part of Megan and Susie being, um, well, she goes by Randall. Part of Randall and Susie being on my coaching staff is, you know, they're not the most experienced coaches in the area. And I had several other male coaches come to me and say, I would like to coach. Yeah. And so, but instead of, you know, but like I made a conscious decision to say, no, you know, this is, this is a developmental model. This is, you know, part of my mission. So I'm going to take these people. Right. Um, And and just a quick note on that. I mean, we talked a little bit about why is it that there are fewer female coaches and at least in Atlanta, I can't speak for every city, but all the women in Atlanta who coach are doing so much. So, and coaching a professional team is a huge undertaking and women tend to make commitments and stick to them and, and don't want to, I'm totally speaking generalizations here. I apologize, but don't necessarily want to just take something on, you know, haphazardly. And so, you know, when we were thinking through this, a lot of the women are already taken, you know, they're already doing everything. You know, we're already coaching high school and college and club and running, you know, the AFDC and running Atlanta women's ultimate and everything like that. So it was a challenge to figure that out. And we did kind of piece it together. We have two coaches, one is male, one is female. Um, but kind of similar reasons that you brought up, like we want to feel comfortable with our coaches. We want to trust them. That's very important. And we want to make sure that they're high level. And at the same time, how do we do this with an eye toward, you know, making sure that we have women coaches. So I think it might be an undertaking that needs to just be more, what's the word I'm looking for? Intentional. Yes. Um, and so now we talk a little bit about some of the solutions or I don't know, the brainstorming that we've had over this last week about what can we do? Right. So, I mean, part of it too was this idea. So, you know, four coaches, people might think like that's overkill, right? But by having four coaches, you allow the flexibility mm-hmm. for people to have other commitments and lives and yeah. to provide that, you know, no, you don't have to be at every single thing and we will be okay. And I'm doing this because I want you. Yes. Right. And that's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause like, I feel like I'm kind of an anomaly that I can do all these things that I do in ultimate because my husband is tremendously supportive. Mm-hmm. He is the primary, you know, caretaker of our children in terms of like bringing to them all their things, like taking care, you know, you know, all their, their needs and stuff like that. And that's, that's not, that's atypical. That's not yeah. necessarily like mm-hmm. other people's experience. And so, you know, when I first moved here and I was trying to get women to coach with me in the MLU and the AUDL, a lot of it was, well, I am also, you know, pr- you know, primary caregiver for my children and I can't spend that time or I'm taking care of an aging parent and mm-hmm. I, can't, I do not have that time or I work full time and this is the only time I get to spend with my children, you know, kind of things like that. So there are a lot more restrictions. So I think this flexible model, one of the things we've talked about on New York Gridlock um, is how can we reimagine what professional is and means because the professional models are overwhelmingly masculine and male. And so how do we kind of push at that and see how it's different? And I think that even goes towards the coaching staff, right? Like, Mm -hmm. is it really necessary that I'm there every single minute and doing every single thing? Or is there a way for us to do coaching share so we can open up access to this level of coaching and this experience? So that's one thing. Just, um, we provide, we also advertise that we were providing daycare at all of our tryouts, right? No one happened to take, a, take us up on it this, mm-hmm. this year, mm-hmm. but I imagine if that's something that becomes more of a norm, maybe we do get more young moms and, you know, that coming out to participate totally. and not actually having, you know, to retire things uh, like that. So, yeah. I remember one of the most important tasks on my to-do list the day before the Atlanta soul Austin torch game last year, the home game here in Atlanta was to find Bex forth a babysitter for her son. Yeah. And I was seriously just so emotional, like thinking that that was my priority for the day, not like oh, ticket sales and blah, 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 all this stuff, you know, we had tons of other stuff to do, but I had to find her a babysitter and it was the most important thing because damn it, she needed to play in that game. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she had flown all the way there from Austin, but it then, it then got me thinking, okay, you know, other folks have kids and would like to come to the game and can we offer daycare at the games, you know, or can we do something 
something like that. Yeah. Uh, not daycare, childcare. So, and then you and I talked a little bit about this idea of, okay, maybe we recognize this is where we're at with, you know, gender equity in our country and in our sport. Um, and that applies to coaches as well. And it's going to be a while before there is actual equity, but what can we do now in the interim? And what you said around mentoring, I think is great. Um, potentially offering league resources to, um, sort of coaches in training, sort of women who maybe don't feel like they're ready to step into a head coach role, but if they could shadow you or if they could shadow a coach, any coach at all, um, and maybe access like a monthly pull women coaches conference call, you know, and just talk, like have, you know, a safe place to ask questions or ask questions that maybe they wouldn't feel comfortable asking even their own head coach, you know, um, so if there's a way we can create that space here and one thing we're doing on soul, which isn't around coaching, but applies, we had this amazing physical therapist approach us. His name is Zach Hollis, who wanted to work with us and basically heard our mission and was psyched to kind of volunteer his services. And so of course we're like, yes, great. We want that. And there aren't you know necessarily any women coming forward who are, you know, able to offer that, would you be able to mentor them and, and have any sort of PT students, you know, shadow him and sort of get that kind of on the job training. And he was really into that idea as well. So just trying to figure out within our existing paradigms that aren't going to change tomorrow that have these imbalanced gender ratios, how can we, you know, use that and create, like you said, these kind of mentoring or training opportunities. I, I agree. And, and one of the things that I've noticed, so is, so Gwen Ambler, um, last year started a face group, Facebook group called women coaches, coaches. Yeah, coaches or something yeah. like that. And it's been a fantastic space for people really to has. talk about, you know, I, I, I definitely have used it a couple of times where I've just emailed and been like, am I crazy? This happened. This, somebody said this to me on the sideline mm -hmm. and just to even have people be, say like, well, you know, take a step back. Like, this is how I, you know, just even having that sounding board was just, it's just so critically important to have a safe yeah. space to talk about these things, um, feel supported to have people say, no, you should go for that job. Mm -hmm. Because what I've noticed is in talking to young coaches and again, gen talking in generalities, this is obviously not everybody, but you know, women typically look at, look at what somebody's asking and they're like, I need a hundred percent of yep. what they say they need. Yep. And, and, a, and a young man will look at it and be like, if they have even like 30% of what they need, they're like, yep, I'm going to do that. <laughs> I'm, I quote that exact statistic to my players and folks I'm interviewing for jobs all the time, all the time. And that's it. A hundred percent to 30%. Yeah. It's unbelievable. So where, how yeah. can we like to encourage people like, yeah, you have 50%. You are told, yeah, go, go do for it. it. When are you, you going to learn the other 50%, right? <laughs> On the job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> ah, this is so great. Okay. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. You mentioned one of your coaches is also coaching the club team there in New York. And we talk in Atlanta too, a lot about club versus pro. We really don't want pro to diminish the attention on club or to potentially be a negative or harmful impact on club. There could potentially be that, um, you know, it's hard on people's bodies. It, it is, it could just makes for a very long season. Um, and some people are just not into this idea of monetizing ultimate. Um, so how is, is she thinking about, or just, are there anyone, is there anyone in New York who is sort of against pro and how are you, sort of thinking through that and, and managing those conversations. And then just curious about how this transition from pro to club is going to go. So that's an interesting question. So I, I know that there, even some people who are on the team, so, uh, have said, I'm not sure how I feel about this. Mm -hmm. Right. So they did come out to tryouts. A couple of them are on the team, but they're still kind of like, what is this going to look like? Is this going to feel okay? So I think this is going to be like an interesting experiment on how mm -hmm. it feels and looks to them um, if they decide to come back next season or not. But no one has explicitly been like, you shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. <laughs> like, get out yeah. of town. Yeah. So that's great. And, and actually, there's been really a, an amazing outpouring of support for New York Gridlock from the communities. And, you know, when I called and said, I need volunteers for such and such, I had, 
you know, I think the first time we sent something out that said interest form, we had, you know, 150 people sign up and say, I'm not going to try out, but I'd love to volunteer <laughs> kind of things. And so people, people really were, were into it. And I think a lot of it was because it was for women and non-binary players, because I know that the pro men's team have not felt as much love um, in the community. Mm. So, uh, so, you know, I think it's an experiment and we're all, we're all really being open about our conversations and I'm really working hard at trying to make sure that people feel comfortable. So one of the things that I did was, you know, we have club players from, I think six or seven different club teams. Um, and I did that intentionally yeah. because part of my mission also is to make sure that the experience is distributed across the region so that we can grow pockets of ultimate in different places. And so I didn't want to take all of bent, for example, um, you know, or all of amp, but I have players from both of those teams. Nice. And so it was like really an intentional choice on my part to make sure that we had like a nice distribution of players from across the region. But then what I did is I reached out to all of their club coaches and I said, Hey, I know, you know, this is happening do you want to talk just to, mm-hmm. you know, let me know, like, let, to let, let me, you know, just like, what am I thinking? How are we mm-hmm. going to navigate conflict? Stuff like mm-hmm. that. And so I had some really nice conversations with different coaches um, in the area and, you know, just letting them know that, you know, men have been doing this for seven years and their <laughs> club teams have figured it out. Mm-hmm. And while I'm going to do all that I can to make sure that we are not taking away from your club season or your club team, it can't come all from me. And then I just request open lines of communication mm-hmm. and, you know, some leniency in terms of like, do they actually have to come to all five of your tryouts? Mm-hmm. Probably not, <laughs> you know, kind of stuff. And so just have, and I, you know, people appreciate it when you are just like, this is it. Right. Yeah. And I want to hear you and here's my phone number. Right. Um, but the other thing that I, and I actually did this for my male athletes also, as I coached in the MLU and AUDL was you know, overtraining is a real thing and overplaying is a real thing. And so in what ways can we make sure that we are touching base so that if I notice that somebody tweaks their hamstring at one of my events and then they pretend that they're not injured for you, mm. like in what ways can we make sure that we, the players know that we're actually in conversation so they can't like <laughs> mommy daddy us. Right. You know what I mean? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, so that's why I'm trying. And we also, one thing that I did was also made sure that I was providing free training for my athletes. Um, so we actually um, have a partnership with Game Point Performance where that the, the team is paying for and all of my athletes have access to their training and they are encouraged to use that um, or use a training of their choice, right? Like nice. not forced to use this. Um, and what's great too is they now have the option of Strive and Uplift, which is an amazing program that mm-hmm. is very well suited to women and non-binary players. So they have choices, but the, yeah. but like for, for me to say as a, as a, like an owner and a coach and a manager of this team, your training is, is so important that I'm going to pay for it. Right. Like, I don't even want this to be part of what you worried about. Um, because I know that you want to go play club and your coaches and your club teams want you to be healthy. So how can we make sure that happens? Okay, so I wanted to talk about players. Um, I wanted, if you would talk a little bit about your roster, and then I want to talk about sort of other fun players in the league. Um, But I'm just curious, are there, is there, you know, the whole mission and and vision of Poll is around visibility. Are there players on your roster who you think are sort of underrated, who may have been flying under the radar, and, and you're excited for them to finally get the limelight a little bit? Oh my gosh. Like everybody, mm-hmm. seriously. I mean, I think we, we have a couple of names that I think people would recognize like Amy zoo and Tulsa Douglas. Um, you know, Lindsay McKenna is another up and coming athlete that I, she's on U 24 this year. Um, you know, we have a couple of people from amp that, pe- that, you know, folks probably know and stuff, but you know, we, I have a couple of Jersey players who, you know, that just, haven't really gotten to play on like big stage before. So, you know, I, I have Abby Newsom who's been playing on a team in New Jersey um, called Pine Baroness and, you know, they just, they play regionally and that's it. And, Mm -hmm. 
you know, like this will be her first opportunity to really play mm-hmm. like on this big stage. And I'm just so excited to see like her blossom and grow and like how she stacks up against, against the players. Um, you know, but then I also have a couple of, of people who, you know, have just been playing in the mixed division for different reasons. Right. Like this woman named Nikki Hare, who played on Metro North for the first time this season. She had previously been playing on some other like co-ed Jersey teams. She's a ridiculous athlete, you know, <laughs> and like super fast and lays out and has been working on her throws for the past couple of years mm-hmm. and is just amazing. And just, just like, suddenly like people are going to know who she is. Totally. Like how awesome is that? And they just show up at tryouts literally so many times. I would be like, who is she? Where did she come from? <laughs> you know, Getting yes. like through, you know, blocked and watching these amazing players and that's amazing. Yeah. But if you build it, they will come and they came, you know, we had players from Florida and South Carolina and obviously Georgia, Alabama. So I think we have also five or six club teams and three or four States represented. That's amazing. Again, att- intentionally, you know, really trying to build that bridge. So, okay. That's so fun. <laughs> other players. I know it's so fun. It really is. Um, <laughs> So other players in the league, any announcements from the, uh, we're going to talk about the sponsor of player fundraiser in a second. So were there any announcements that were surprising to you? I had no idea Claire was going to play. Like, <laughs> come on. How is that even fair? Claire Chastain with? Yes, with Revolution. Uh-huh. Come on. So ridiculous. Did you see who else is playing with Revolution? No. Who? Kayla Jorgensen. Oh, come on. <laughs> Yep. Mm-hmm. Come on, Kayla. Ridiculous. Um, yeah. Any other big pickups you noticed? I'm looking right now. Well, I'm actually kind of annoyed that, um, that Mo is playing with you. Cause she knows. She I was lives. annoyed. You tried to swipe her from me. I didn't, actually, I was, I, I just, I just put like it out there. I just said, we're going to do this here. I was yeah. so pissed. I leaned. I was like, don't even take my star handler. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and she was she lives super right here. I don't care. And she doesn't either. <laughs> She's mine. <laughs> so that was pretty funny. Um, so I also noticed Lisa P is playing with radiance. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Lisa Kiko socks, one of our sponsors of this podcast. So we are psyched to have her in the poll this year. Um, I think she's offering socks to all of the teams who make championships. championships. You know what? And she did send me a pair so I could like try oh, them out. Send me one. And they are <laughs> awesome. I'm really all excited. Right. You know who else I'm excited uh, for the radiance is um, Lyra Olson or Lyra oh, Olson. Lyra, she's so good. She's so good. And her energy and spirit yes. are just like so amazing. Do you I'm remember really that excited. article she wrote about yes. Oh my God. Why to try out why women should try out for the AUDL, even if they don't want to play. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. was so moving to me. I think that was a big like part of why I tried out for hustle and got going. Well, the boycott was a big activator for me, but then her article and just seeing that there are other folks out there who are like excited to do the same thing. I was like, yes, let's do it. Here we yeah. go. He's <laughs> great. Awesome. Um, what is your favorite team of all time? Any team that I've been Any on? Any team. Doesn't even have to be team that you've been on. Either been on or coached or watched from afar. Club, pro, high school, oh, middle school. I mean, the, 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 the thing, so coaching-wise, the one that's been most dear to my heart was the very first Woodward team that I coached. Yeah. It was co-ed. Um, and we played in, like, this, the you know, the regional championship. And I after we were done, I just cried. It was just, like, uh-huh. such an amazingly powerful – like, it was my first coaching experience. And just, like, the – I you know, I, as a coach, you have such a different connection with your athlete. Totally. And such a special relationship. And just, like, just having that with these kids and, mm-hmm. you know, be, and still being in touch with a lot of them, you know, 20 – years later um and just seeing them as adults and how they're thriving and stuff like that and knowing that like i had a tiny piece in that development probably a pretty big piece i would imagine was (laughs) yeah so i thought that just always and i and i remember saying to them as i was crying and i said i don't think i will ever cry again at the end of a season but this being the first year just makes it so so special so special yep okay i want to get back to the 
sponsor a player, but who is your favorite teammate of all time? Oh man. I don't, I, I can't, I don't even know. I so said like the first, like without even thinking the first name that popped in my head was Angela Lynn. Uh, yeah. Um, but then, but then I'd be like, well, Wooten's going to kill me. So I should probably <laughs> say her too. That's so perfect. But then, uh, but then I also think about Chris O'Cleary because mm. she was the one who like really advocated for me to be on ozone to begin with, because mm. I was a total unknown and, uh, Anyway, and she she knew I would run for all of her throws. And I was I was faster than everybody else, and so she just really advocated for me. And just having like a really great connection with her, oh, that's so fun. Yeah, <laughs> I know that's a hard one. But then also, so then here's another short story. So Kara Crouch mm-hmm. is now going to be playing for the Torch, who is one of my favorite favorite teammates of all time. Maybe my favorite person yes. of all time, to yes. be honest. Like she's truly amazing. So um, in 2004, mm-hmm. I was diagnosed with cancer um, in April, and um, because I think I'm unstoppable, I was like, oh, I'm going to play the season. Right. So oh <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in chemotherapy. Right. But the chemo was going to end in August. And I was like, oh, that's plenty of time. Like by that, by that, I'll have plenty of time to be ready for the series. Right. So, yeah. So this is me thinking about this. And so um, at at some point, I think it was probably in like June, we went to a tournament and I realized like this really isn't going to happen, is it? Mm-hmm. Like I, I have cancer. Right. That's probably thing. isn't going to happen. This is an actual thing. <laughs> And at that point, um, Mac um, Keltner was on the team and, and, and she said, look, I know this person who's amazing. She lives in Austin, but she wants to have experience playing on a team like ours. You know, maybe we can get her on the team. So I basically was like, we need to give my roster spot to Kara. And so she came and she moved to Atlanta mm-hmm. and she was what Chris and I, my husband called our sugar monkey because she basically took care of us. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start crying. Um, like during my treatment. So like she would shop and she would clean and, and she was, and she lived rent free and we took care of her in a lot of ways. Um, and like that, I think that was like, yeah. So she's probably like my top person, um, because of that experience, but then also just like seeing her growth over the years and just like, what a phenomenal person, athlete, leader, Mm. mentor, coach, she is, um, she continues to inspire me mother. Yeah. She continues to inspire me. And I'm just so incredibly excited that she's going to be playing this year on the torch and that I get to actually like play against them, you know, like it's going to be like just so amazing. Uh, That's such a great story. Thank you. All right. Let's talk about this. Um, So as you know, listeners, dear listeners, we are having a sponsor, a player fundraiser through VC where any player in the poll, we have 200 players, any player can get sponsored by up to four individuals and sponsorship means you are paying 150 bucks for their jersey a replica jersey of that player so two lights and two darks and then with that sponsorship you also get i think two tickets to a game to championship weekend perhaps no if i could chime in again here no you please get, so everybody gets uh that player's jersey in their size with that player's name and number a, a hand, love letter a, ha- a love letter yes a love letter love letter uh, or note or card, um, <laughs> and also entered into a contest at the end if the whole league sells out for a three hundred dollar voucher, travel voucher to come to Championship Weekend and tickets to the Championship Weekend. Okay, that's the contest. If it sells out, if the fundraiser sells out, yes. So if folks do want to get involved, head on over to VC's website, click on the poll sponsor a player drop down, and then you can find the team you want to sponsor there. Um, I will say it has been um, extremely successful so far. Even if you, if the player you want to sponsor is sold out already, please consider sponsoring another player in the league um, because this is really the chance for each team to make money. Um, this, this money goes to the teams. Yeah, a lot of people have emailed me saying, wow, this is such a unique idea for a fundraiser. This is pretty cool. I've had friends in Seattle sponsor players from Nashville and from other teams. Um, someone who, Gwen actually, who had coached someone from Nashville years ago and got to sponsor her, and that was really fun for her. So yeah, take a look at the rosters. You'd be surprised who you might find there, someone who you probably know. 
Next um, year, I think we also need to do coaches' jerseys. Ooh. <laughs> Let's do that. Oh, my God. <laughs> coaches are popular. The, the other cool thing about it is that it draws attention to the players. And that's the whole thing about this is, is it, mm -hmm. it's the first real look for the rest, for the fans at who the players are, you know, mm -hmm. and in, in the club ultimate, you know, they're stars, but it's not the same kind of thing, you know, and this is like, Hey, here's the stars. Here's the players. Here's the bio. Here's where they're from. Here's, mm -hmm. you know? and I think that this is the first kind of taste of that. And hopefully this will be the building block for the excitement that will come later as we talk, you know, interview these players on this podcast when the season mm -hmm. gets going and totally. things like that. We cannot wait. Well, so beyond, so like beyond the jerseys after the sponsor player program. So I know this is something people have been asking a lot about. So does this mean I'll never get a Jersey, right? No, it doesn't mean you'll never get a Jersey. As a matter of fact, you know, when the season starts, we are going to all have team stores and on these team stores, we're going to have other merchandise you know, and you can buy jerseys then. And one of the things that you might be able to get are a pair of layout gloves with our logos on them, because what's been amazing is that layout is also sponsoring us and providing our players with gloves with our team logos. And so if you're a glove wearer and you're really excited about our teams, you should also think about getting that stuff. Amen. We are super psyched about that. And thank you, Jake, for the sponsorship. Um, all right. So we're going to do shout outs. This is something I learned from Upwind's podcast. Um, and I really liked it. And basically you just get to shout out to anyone who you feel, um, thankful for, or you want to give a little bit of love to. So Eileen, you're up. Wait, me? Yeah. You go first. Okay. I'll go first. I have some kind of cheesy ones. Um, I have to shout out my mom. <laughs> because she was so mad at me that I didn't, she's a, a little bit disabled and can't use a computer. And she was so mad at me that I didn't tell her about the sponsor of player fundraiser, <laughs> but immediately, cause she didn't get any of my jerseys, but immediately she turned around and was like, but it's okay. Who, el who else do you want me to sponsor on your team? <laughs> oh my gosh. That is amazing. I know. <laughs> so that's my shout out today. So, I mean, I definitely, I know I've mentioned this before, but I need to shout out my husband, Chris Hatton. Um, I say this to anyone who will listen without him, I would not be able to be doing half the things that I want to do probably more. Um, his, his like unwavering support and willingness to roll with it with me has allowed me to take these amazing journeys. So yeah. definitely need to shout out to him. Thank you, Chris. We love you. <laughs> awesome and that concludes our fourth podcast for the premier ultimate league 